and welcome. My name is Mary Lou and you're listening to the Hera Hotspot podcast. This week I'm talking to Tracy Long, a spiritual guru, about being a civil celebrant, shamanic healer and a tarot reader. Tracy has had spirit in her life from a young age when she remembers seeing spirit animals in her bedroom and hearing her grandfather speak to her. We explore what is involved in shamanic healing and how Tracy helps to heal both physical and emotional wounds which often involve past life work and soul retrieval. We also touch on grief and how it affects people differently and the benefits of planning your own funeral. We explore the history of tarot and Tracy explains how her tarot beginner courses work. Finally, Tracy's guide Dave advises that we should all try and get to know our own guides as they are able to help and support us through different stages of life. She also reminds us that it is important to ground and protect ourselves when working with spirit. I hope you enjoy it. So when I looked at your website, yeah. you have a plethora of tools in your belt. I've got down here that you, you work with the angels, you do tarot, you do meditation, you do spiritual development, you do feng shui, you do yeah. energy clearing, you do shamanic healing, you do yeah. manifesting, astrology and life coaching. Yes. which is an amazing array of, of skill sets to have. When you meet someone initially, say you sat next to someone at a dinner party, how would you, rather than reel through all that, how would you introduce yourself if they asked what you did? How do you identify? Um, well, I, nowadays I don't. I say I'm a celebrant. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I sort of gave up saying I was a psychic because it goes into too much discussion when you go into it. But um, I guess for this, I would just say, um, yeah, that I work with spirit. I just say I work with spirit. Sometimes I feel a bit cheeky. I say I work with dead people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to like wind them up. I go, yeah, I just work with dead people and see what they say. <laughs> Uh, so being a celebrant is your more of your latest thing is that right yeah yeah I've been doing that for about five years now okay and you were saying the other day you were starting out wanting to do weddings but actually you'll tend to be asked more to do funerals at the moment yeah I've done this year that I've actually done some weddings um they kept getting cancelled because of the covid anyway and um people's situations kept changing so whenever I thought I had one it would end up end up changing so it just never seemed to fall into place but yeah I got I got the funerals really quickly. So how would that I mean having been raised a Catholic and the only services I've been to are uh, funeral services are church services how does that differ what would that look like? Um, well celebrant type um, funeral is non-religious usually although you can have a hymn or a prayer in it if you want to but it just gives the freedom for the family to just have whatever they want to have within the service so if they don't want to have a eulogy they don't have to if they just want all poems or just readings they can have that they can have whatever music they like and where, it, where would it take place what building in the crematorium oh okay yeah, it just takes place in the crematorium. I mean, if you have a celebration of life ceremony, you can actually have that anywhere you like. Mm. Um, you know, especially at the as times are at the moment where there's not, where well, wasn't allowed a lot of people 
in the crematorium. If the family then wanted to do something private themselves, then you can go and do a private ceremony. But a lot of people now are saving them to next year for anniversaries and birthdays and things mm. like that to have the big mm. celebrations. But yeah, you can actually hold one anywhere, really. So you said earlier that you worked with spirits. Does that tie in with being a celebrant? Do you make connections? I do. They connect with me, um, which I didn't realise was going to happen. But obviously, as we know, in this business, there is a, a bigger picture there. So I kept wondering why I kept getting people in my bedroom sort of like two, three o'clock in the morning and all these noises and being awake. And and I suddenly start to realise when I then spoke to the families that I had spirit with me. And then after a couple of, well, it didn't take long for me to cotton on that was going on. I suddenly realised I had that person with me. So when I started to tune in, I could then um, connect with them and with the family at the same time. Mm. So therefore, once I'd made the initial contact, I could then put most of the service together with the help of the person in spirit and then just give it to the family and say, this is what I've done for you. And I haven't had anybody come back to me and go, they didn't like it or didn't want what I gave them. So, Mm. And those that um, know that I'm a spiritual celebrant, they actually contact me for that reason. Okay. Not all my services are spiritual services. Some I just get contacted to just do a normal service and then spirit is not mentioned unless they bring it up first. But most of the time mine are because of what I do. That's how I get those. Okay. So you have this connection with spirit. How long have you had that? My earliest memories of um, spirit connecting to me, I probably was about eight or nine, I would say. I know I was at junior school. And that's as far back as I can remember. I can't remember anything further than that. And was it, did you come from a family of people that could connect? Was it, in that, was it familiar to you? Was that, actually, I don't quite know what's going on. Well, I do actually come from a family connects on both sides, but it wasn't really spoken about in my household. So, you know, um, I think my parents were a bit nervous of it when I was younger. And if I said anything, um, I was just met with blank stares usually. Um, mm. And I think they were just nervous of it. So I think they were aware that it was in the family going back, especially on my granddad's side. Um, but, yeah, it was never really spoken about. It, it had, was later in years, but not when I was younger. So when did you start to work with it? Um, I would say that I had quite good intuition. That's how I would have explained it to anybody when I just knew something was going to happen or I knew I had to go somewhere or avoid something. Um, So I would just would have put that down to just having good intuition. I guess really um, the thing that triggered it the most is knowing that I was hearing voices, which was my granddad talking to me. So he used to call my name. and. Obviously, when I was a child, I used to think that was God talking to me. Um, (laughs) But then as I got older, I realised it was my granddad, who does work quite a lot with me in spirit, even though he died when I was about five. And then I had an experience where I saw an angel and I was in my 30s when this angel appeared in my living room. And, well, I was just amazed, really. I just sat there sort of looking at it and um, I just couldn't really believe what it was <laughs> um but I think from I've been going for a bit of a difficult time but then after that everything seemed to change once I saw um the angel appear um, what, did, what did it look like 
well, I can remember. I mean, I could actually draw it still. I, they, these type of experiences, you never forget them. Um, it had sort of blondish hair and it had a very um, that porcelain looking face, if you like. It's hard to explain. But there was a it was quite tall, I would say around about six foot ish. And, and it had a really big wide light all the way around it. It didn't say anything or do anything. It just appeared. Mm. But, I mean, it is a bit of a shock when that sort of thing mm. happens. And you're sort of like, God, I don't think I'm looking at an angel. You know it's not a spirit. It, there mm. is a difference between the two. See spirit people all the time. Um, yeah, so from that day on, my whole, as if it, it appeared just to tell me that there is more out there, there is backup, there is support. Um, and yeah, yeah, it did really sort of change my whole way of thinking and it really changed my, my life really because I then started to get more interested in the spiritual side of things and go into it a bit more. So I know that a lot of people do go down this path when they have something happen to them, maybe a death in the family or something tragic or they, they find something to cling on to to try and find a way in life but that wasn't actually the case for me it's because I saw this angel and I just thought well right <laughs> I, I think I better explore it a bit more now mm. and that came along so my first interest was in aim to do with angels but then it just sort of progressed from there and I got really interested in everything and anything and just to see what I could do and what I couldn't do so it just led me down this journey of just doing lots of different things. But it, it's my way my my brain is. I like to get to the bottom of everything and I like mm. to research everything and just to find out. I am a bit of a sceptic as well, believe it or not. So I have to like find out if this stuff does really exist, if it really can happen. And then once I'm convinced, that's it. And I'm, I'm sort of telling other people and putting it out mm. there once I'm convinced it actually does, does happen or does work. So we we're going to focus today on um, more of the shamanic and the tarot. Can you explain to me and to people listening what shamanic is? Well, it's an old um, Native American style of healing. And, I mean, it goes back many centuries. And people there, they would have somebody in their village um, that would be a medicine man or a medicine woman. And they would go to them for anything, really. It could be for wisdom. It could be for healing. It would be maybe midwife. Um, just the wise counsellor counselor within the, the group that they had. But if anybody in the group had a problem or needed healing, they would go to them maybe for herbs or finding a way to treat whatever they had. Mm. So it's a, just a very old style of healing. So when I first started doing it, I wasn't really aware of what I was doing. Um, I did try to go and learn Reiki. So I did level one. It wasn't really resonating with me at all. I thought this is not really what I'm supposed to be doing. So I tried crystal healing. That was better. I quite like that. Um, I could resonate with that. Um, then I just started to do some research to see what it was I was actually doing. And then as I went along the line of um, looking into it, I realised it was shamanic style healing that I was mm. doing. Um, and I just could do it. And everything that I read up and studied and practised and done just actually worked. So I knew that somewhere along my line, you know, maybe in my ancestry or maybe in a past life, that there was somebody there that did do it once upon a time. Because I believe we're all given these gifts and we just have to tap into them and see 
what ones we were given and mm. to actually work with them. So I've been doing shamanic now for about seven, eight years, I guess. Do you uh, channel a Native American guide? In that? I have a guide, yes. Um, I can't tell you what his name is offhand. I have it written down. I'll just call him in. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's got really short um, sort of Afro hair. So he's not traditional Native American Indian. He doesn't look like that at all. But there are different shamans in different um, cultures anyway. They don't, they're not all Native American Indians. Um, so he is my guide. And I actually saw him when I was having healing once. Um, there's not many, many people that I would go to for healing, but there was this lovely lady called Joy that used to do my healing many years ago. And I met her by chance at a psychic fair. And I just for one today from thought we'll see you know you know she can actually do it and I could feel what she was doing and then from that day on I thought every now and again when I felt I needed a little bit clearer and I'd go and see Joy so I'd go to her place and she'd have just so many crystals a bit like June really everywhere mm. and um and once we was in doing a, uh I was relaxed at that time she was doing the healing I actually see him come over I could see his face so I know what he looks like now um, and that was the only time I ever saw him. But again, it's one of those things you don't forget. So you can always remember mm. what they look mm. like. So he pops in. He helps me with my shamanic healing. Um, and also sometimes my guides, I would work with them. I have a, a, a guide, that I, my main guide, Dave, who I work with a lot. Um, I would normally call him in. And my, my shamanic guide as well, they would come in. So we'd do it between, us, between them, between all of us, I guess. So um, if I came to you for healing, because I know what that would look like if I went to Jean, for example, are there different tools that you use for shamanic or is it more about just the energy? Yeah, it is different. Depends what I'm doing. If I'm Sometimes I don't always know what I'm going to be faced with. So sometimes we have to do soul retrieval. Um, other times it's just clearing. Other times we go back into past lives. Um, it all depends what the problem is with the person, but usually it's a block somewhere within their life that's causing the problem sometimes it can be a physical um, blockage there which you just push the energy in um, to move it around so maybe it can naturally clear itself other times you have to remove something um, there is a, a, a way of doing that where that we would use an egg to actually absorb some of that negative energy where you would roll it on the person or that area and try and get it to go into the egg so then it can be removed that way of course you don't want to take on board everything yourself when you're actually doing the healing which I was realized I did do that sometimes especially when I was doing cancer patients I would take on a lot of what was going on with them and I'd clear them but I'd be stuck with it so I'd have to then try and go and clear that energy myself but yeah there is a different type of um the way that you set it up is different and the way that you channel is different as well to normal healing, like crystal healing or angelic healing. And I don't call angels in when I'm doing my healing. Okay, so I've got lots of questions from that. So when you're talking about uh, energy, from my perspective as a kinesiologist, the energy I'm working with is in the meridians. So it's kind of in the body. It's part of what they would term traditional Chinese medicine as chi so if there's a blockage in the meridian it's compromising the meridians either side and that you those blockages can occur from either emotional trauma or physical trauma or we're looking at biochemical so the energy you're working with when you're trying to remove it are you looking at um energy within that body like I would or are you looking more at auric energy 
yeah, I look within the body. We do something that's called scanning. So we can scan with our hands to find out where it is and find out where the blockage is. And then you can sort of manipulate that energy um, and do it that way if it is just a basic clearing that we're doing. If it's an emotional blockage, um, I say it's evolved over time. We tend to go into past life now to see where that problem came from. And sometimes they don't even go back into past lives. It could just be this life. It could be something that was um, being held within their system that they didn't realise they were still holding on to. And whenever they go into their meditation or or, or go into um, their deep relaxation and they can think, they would go back to the place that caused the problem and then generally speaking, within the next like 24 hours, there would be a release. So there would be probably, you know, they'd be quite emotional. Are we talking about, I often use the phrase, it's a physical manifestation of an emotional state. Yeah. So are you talking about historical emotional traumas and blockages that are manifesting as pain or, or yes, aches? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes it could be a past life issue um, where they've had a trauma in another life and it's materialising for some reason in this life. Then you have to go back and try and clear that. That's quite difficult to do um, when you're trying to heal something of that. Say, you know, they've got a pain somewhere that just relate back into a past life. You could take them back to the past life and so they could understand how they got it and why they got it. Mm. And then with a sense of understanding, they could possibly clear it that way themselves. Um, that that could work or maybe, you know, it's not that type of healing anyway. But um, usually it tends to be like a soul retrieval I would do, which would be for severe shock when somebody's died and they feel like they've lost a part of themselves or if they've suffered like PTSD, severe depression, something of that nature, um, where they've been on medication and they just feel like they're lost and they don't know where they're going with anything. Normally we have to take them back um, into um, to that situation to try and understand it. And this is all done, you know, while they're in meditation and I'm actually healing on the outside while they're working on the inside. So that was explained to me once by my homeopath, whose husband's a shaman. Yeah. Because it sounds quite a dramatic soul retrieval, as as though you've lost the whole of yourself. But she explained it like um, your soul being a bag of tennis balls that gets shaken up by trauma and a couple of the balls come out. So it's a part of you that's come out. Is that how, how you see it? Yes. It's not the whole soul. It's just a part of them. They always feel, maybe when somebody's died suddenly, they feel that part of them is missing or they were in a long-term relationship and that's broken down, but the love was still there and they feel part of them is missing. So some people can actively give part of their soul to somebody else. Mothers do it quite often with children because they have a fear that they don't want something to happen to their child or if something has happened, a sense of loss. So therefore they give part of their soul to that child, which they might not necessarily want it because in that case you're holding that child back as well. So they give it freely. And then they always feel that sense of loss. So it's about them understanding and trying bringing that back to them so they have a sense of wholeness and dealing with that grief that had happened at that time or trauma. So basically how it works to simplify it. So see, I'm a picture person, which is why I quite like the analogy of the tennis balls in the bag. So how would you describe, because that giving a part of your soul to someone, if you had to put it in an image, what would that look like? Or is it literally just... A, a collection of energy um if you were to look at it say if you looked at your heart it would just have a little hole in it 
that's basically how it would look. In some cases, it could just be fractured, like a little crack in it. That's what it would look like to us when we're trying to get it back or, you know, for you to be able to have an image. That's yeah. what it would look like. So we just bring that back and put it back where it's supposed to be. Um, best, most of it is about a sense of understanding where it comes from. I had um, something that happened to me recently. I, I've lost quite a lot of friends during COVID. Two of them were best friends. And many years ago, I lost my best friend to cancer and I thought I dealt with that. And it was only when another friend died recently and it was very similar that I actually dealt with the loss that I had back then. But if you'd have asked me, I would have said, yeah, I've done it. That was over Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. But Mm -hmm. actually, I hadn't. So until you actually visit that back to that place that brings back that emotion is when you realise that perhaps you haven't dealt with something that's happened years ago and it's sort of stuck there. So that was quite a physical thing for me. So I actually sort of felt part of my heart breaking open. It's hard to explain it unless it actually mm-hmm. happened to somebody. Mm-hmm. But that was it healing. You know, if I was of concern now, it's probably been dealt with. I'm okay with it. I think it's, um, I mean, the world that you and I are in, it, it's, um, it's quite normal to talk about that sort of physical reaction to an emotional, you know, a, a physical response to an emotional trauma. But for most people, especially in Western society, it is get on and do, go to the doctor for a pill. But that connection, that intuition is, is, is gone. When you were saying this about your friend, I remember when my sister passed away um, 11 years ago and I was with her. We were all with her. And I remember talking to my other sister and saying to her, I can, it, I can physically, I can, because that's quite, um, it's quite a beautiful process in itself but obviously there is a it's very surreal and there is a level of trauma or grief about it but I remember saying to her it, it's a physical that when that happened it physically affected me I can feel it in my body the whole of that process the trauma the surrealness the the beauty and it was like almost like nettle barbs sort of settling in to my body and I had to process it and talk about it and 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 at the time I wasn't doing this work so I don't know how I would have termed it, but I had to basically recognise it in order to heal that because it was physically part of me. So I can totally understand when you're saying that your your friend's death, when you're physically feeling your heart. But people, I'm sure they can relate to it, but I don't suppose they often think, actually, how can I make that go? Because they don't understand that the, the energy medicine or the shamanic healing can really work with that physical trauma from the emotional loss I mean the people can heal themselves if they were to go into that grief but the way society is especially here is that they don't want to deal with it they want to brush it under the carpet put it to one side not think about it they don't want to have all the emotions that are associated with it but then we have all those emotions for a reason so if you suppress them you're going to have a some repercussion of that which usually mm. manifests in us as a physical illness mm. the breakdown of the word disease if you're yeah. not easy it would that and I truly believe that that emotional state um sits in you and will will affect your cells and so then affect the function of your body and then be created or manifest as disease yeah I think people find that or some people can't correlate that well, I suppose if you 
think of something that's happened in your life and if you can talk about it quite easily and openly and it doesn't have an effect you've dealt with it but if you talk about it and you can't um or you can't talk about it but if you do talk about it you have a sense of anger loss upset whatever you haven't Mm. dealt with it Mm. it's still Mm. it's a natural process we all all have to Mm. do it Mm. you know it's your your time's up I believe your time's up when your time's up you go Mm. when you're ready to go Mm. Um, you're not going to go before your time I think for some people you say some people can deal with it and they're like, oh, you know, how do I do that? I think sometimes it's as easy as when you sit with an emotion, and, and I think we seldom do this because we're, a, you know, tend to be a rush, rush society or we distract ourselves with social media or TV or going out or whatever it is. Um, when you can sit and actually go, where do I feel it? Uh, whereabouts in my body am I feeling this grief? And, you know, what does it look like? And, I, and I've had it done to me and it's, it's like, what did it like? Oh, it looks like a, a sheer wall of, of dark. Well, what kind of material is it? Well, it's like a metal, it's shiny. And the more you sit in that and focus, and it could be like a spiky red ball or, or a, a melting, you know, if, when you can physically turn it and the more you sit with that emotion, that, let's say, the shiny grey wall of metal can then start to soften or become something else. And it can sometimes be as easy as that, can't it? Just sitting with that emotion, look at what it feels like, what colour it is, what it maybe tastes like, and then that starts to dissipate, doesn't it, and break down. Yeah, I have to go for a process with it. I mean, there's various stages of um, grieving. Um, there's disbelief, there's anger, there's upset, there's, and then finally there would be acceptance. So I think there's about six or seven stages mm-hmm. that everybody goes through. But it's recognizing what, where you are and what stage you're at and just carry on through the process until you get to the inevitable of accepting because we do all have to die eventually. And mm-hmm. um, I think if we just spoke more openly about it, you know, and I do really urge people that you know, should actually have some sort of plan um, for when they do pass away. They should have a plan in what they would like, what the songs they would like, how they would like it to be. My friend that just passed about six weeks ago, she actually done a, a whole funeral. It was all done. She she did a, she booked her coffee, she booked her flowers, she booked her horse and carriage because she wanted that. Um, booked me, I had to do the funeral. And basically how she wanted it to go, what poems she liked. So it was easier for all of us to be able to deal with because we knew we were just giving her what she wanted. Mm. So these families that don't know what to do because somebody might pass suddenly because, believe it or not, most people do not know when their time is going to be up. So why are you not prepared? You'll prepare for everything else in your life, for getting married, for having a child, buying a house, getting a job. Why are people not preparing for that, that side of their life, which is going to happen? Well, I could make an assumption that by her engaging with that process and choosing all those things must have helped the people around her. Yeah, definitely. definitely. We, we started planning it about a year before. Right. Yeah. She sort of was thinking about it, what she wanted, told me that I had to do the service. Then I think with other friends, she did book the, you know, the Shadowicker coffin. 
and booked her flowers and done her will and all the things, all the process that you go through. She pretty much had that all in order, which, you know, is still difficult for everybody, but it made it a bit easier. Um, I don't think she was ready to go. That, that she definitely wasn't. Um, you know, she was very young. You know, it, 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 it happens. It, it's, you know, we don't actually know what we're going to die of either. So, no. and they always say that it's pre-designed before we come here. We agree to everything that's going to happen in our life. Mm. The people that we're going to be like associated with our family, how long we're going to be here for, what we're all past. It's all about experience. Mm. It's all about mm. your soul growth. So whatever you choose. And most people that are on the spiritual path or like work the same way as I do, they tend to have quite um, difficult lives. And I don't know, you know well, maybe because we need to relate to other people, I guess. Mm. And it's all about how you deal with everything that you're given. Mm. I remember when my sister passed over, she was um, 40 uh, and she wasn't married and she hadn't had children. And amongst, and again, I wasn't doing this work then, but you get these sort of classic reactions from different generations actually saying and it's the narrative of oh you know she never got to marry she never got to have children she didn't sort of get to lead the life she should have done or whatever and I always thought actually as you say it's like they were saying if your life is is an alphabet that she left at M and she didn't get to do the end of the alphabet. And I'm yeah. like you, I think, and even then it was like, actually she got to her Z, that yeah. her life was meant to be that, you know, she wasn't meant to marry and have children. She wasn't robbed of anything. And I think even, and however tragic it is because of the, the, the innocence and the purity, when children go, because you it's that human narrative um, that you want, you know, everyone lives till they're 80 or everyone gets to old age. We don't. And whether they pass over when they're five or when they're 40, you know, they came, in my mind, they did what they came to do and they've got to their, to their time. And that is hugely challenging. Even as I say it, I'm aware of how challenging that can be for people who've had that loss, who have created that future in their head that that relational or friend hasn't had. That's right, yeah. My other friend that died earlier in the year, Modernette, she was a black lady, um, we'd known each other for probably about 20 odd years. Um, she passed to cancer. She was 44. And the last conversation we had was the same about she not got married and she not had children. And I knew that she'd been unwell, but I didn't know to the extent. Um, I don't know if it's a cultural thing where they don't talk about it as much or maybe she just didn't want us to know how bad it was. Um, you know, between that conversation and six months, she had died. Um, she looked perfectly happy and well to me the last time I saw her. But I had an inkling. I did say to her, are you well now? And she said, yes. So maybe she just felt well at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, and when she was asking me these questions, something within me, I said to her, well, I don't actually think you've missed that much. I think having kids is overrated. And I think getting married is overrated. Mm-hmm. So if it's not in your life plan to do that, mm-hmm. then I won't worry about it. Mm. You know, I think like many people, if they go back to the times, maybe the first marriage they had, you think, well, we should have done that. You could have wayward kids and you could have mm. like, you could think, oh, we should have done that at that time. Lots of people have these things, but they just build it up as like a happy uh, ever after. But mm. life isn't like that. So I, I know the way I said it to her was, I don't think you've missed anything. Mm. You know, you, I mean, she may have, uh, 
you know, if she had a lived, got married and had kids, but that obviously wasn't in her life plan to do that. And at that time, I don't, I don't think she actually missed out on anything. <laughs> if you've got children, you know it's hard work. If you're married, you know it's hard work. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so if we just sort of move sideways, really, and talk about communicating with spirits um, or angels using cards... Um, I know that Jean does oracle cards, but you particularly use tarot. Do you only lose tarot? Um, no, not only. Um, I have past life cards. I've, had, I've got various different cards, really. Um, but most people contact me for tarot readings. That's, that's what I'm known for. Is my tarot and why are you particularly drawn to them? Well, many years ago, when I started to get into it, I just wondered um, if I could do it. So I went to this group. Well, it was a shop, actually. And um, and I thought I'd do a little course there and just um, see if I could do it. And I could just do it. And I thought, oh, this is good. But I could see that other people couldn't quite grasp it. Mm. And I couldn't understand why they couldn't grasp it. And I thought maybe it's not simple enough for them to, mm. the way it was being taught. Um, I've obviously practised it for many years and did cheap readings and loads of events and whatever to get to the stage I am now. It's been a bit of a journey. But I could just naturally do it. So I, I never had. A problem with it. I happened to be reading a book that Jean gave me the other day and it gave me the history or the origins of the tarot. Are you aware of those? Um, vaguely. I mean, when I teach it, I don't really go into the history because it takes so long to actually do a course these days online. Yeah. We're looking at like at least six hours. So if you do the history as well, you're looking at, you know, taking even longer to learn it. And then you've got your practical bit as well. So I say to people, go off and learn it themselves. But yeah, I know that it's been, it goes even back to Egyptians. It, it just, it's been okay, around. If, if you don't mind, I'm going to share some just for the, um, so people can, before we go into tarot, because I brought it up with Jean yesterday and we both agreed it was a bit, oh, tarot's, you know, that's quite big. That's quite serious. It's kind of yeah. slightly black magic-y and a bit scary. But when I once had read this to Jean, she saw it in a totally different light. So yeah. before we then go into it, in the hope of, of having the same impact on people who are listening, I mean, it's a little complicated at the beginning, but it goes right back to 300 AD and the time of Alexandria, where a lot of people were uh, elders and wise people and teachers were greeting, were, were meeting. So, so three, if I just read from this book, three years later, Hypatia was brutally murdered by the Nitrian monks, a fanatical sect of Christians who were supporters of Bishop Cyril. Whatever the precise motivation for the murder, the departure soon afterwards of many scholars and free thinkers, marking the end of the decline, sorry, the beginning of the decline of Alexandria as a major centre of ancient learning. After the burning of the Library of Alexandria, a group of Magi, elders or wise men, from many countries and traditions met near Alexandria in Fez. Since they spoke many different languages, communication between them was, was at times difficult, and to solve this problem, they used the language of symbols. Many symbols have a pre-existing meaning, independent of conscious understanding. They are to the subconscious mind what words are to the conscious mind. Then goes on to explain, which is probably why you find it easy, that it is through meditation and interpretation you're able to read what the meanings are. Beyond their inherent subconscious meaning, when symbols are used by groups of people for years or even generations to embody a specific teaching, they become imbued with extra meaning. 
later students with no personal instruction can, by meditating upon such symbols, retrieve the meaning that was imbued into them. They devise ways to use a series of pictures for games and for fortune telling. Today, these pictures are the major arcana of the tarot. And it goes on to break a couple of them down. So I just thought it was fascinating that it was created as a form of language between elders, teachers and free thinkers who couldn't communicate because of the language barrier. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think um, a lot, there are a lot of books out there and a lot of um, ways of learning it, um, but they're too complicated. It's, it's um, broken down into like the colours, the symbols, um, you know, what's in the background and all of that. Fundamentally, if, you've, if you're psychic or you can use your intuition, you don't really need to look at all that. It comes in. I work with spirit at the same time, so I just don't just work on a psychic level when I'm doing my readings. I work with spirit and I work with my guide um, and I connect to the person that I'm reading for. So um, uh, it's a combination of all that, all of those. So I sort of try to teach people to do it that way as well, if they can. But, of mm. course, if you're not psychic and you can't um, connect to spirit, then you can just read them as cards. They all have basic meanings anyway mm. that you can pick up on. But to be a good reader, you really do need to have something a bit more than just um, learning and memorising meanings of the cards. So, and one also presumes it's an interpretation in the circumstances you're in. Uh, yes, there's different spreads and ways of laying them out. And depending where they come up in the spread that you use, the meaning will be different. So that's the bit mm. I think people struggle with when they're learning how to use them. Right. Um, because in one spread, it will mean something. But if you put it into another scenario and another spread, it will mean something slightly different. But it's not that if you take it step by step, it's not that difficult to get to the end result um, mm. to be able to read. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 but you, you're doing, I saw that you were doing a beginner's course online. Yeah, yeah. And is that a day course or a...? Yes, I used to do a six-week course where we used to do it once a week for six weeks. And then I found that um, over time people couldn't make it. They were missing ones and things mm. like that. So then it got condensed to a weekend. And now it's actually condensed down into a one day. So that's why I say it is at least six hours if you get a lot of people, especially when it's doing face to face, and you maybe have um, maybe eight people say, people go on forever. It, it's so like many questions and um, like their way of interpreting it, and then practicing and doing the like the practical side of it. I mean, once you get engrossed in it and you start doing it, I mean, time just flies out the window. You don't realise where the time's gone. So mm. you know, I tried to condense it down to um, round about six hours long with only short breaks and you they're normally eating their lunch at the same time mm. um so you can get through the basics of how you know learning maybe each card so we do the the minor arcana first and then we go into the major arcana afterwards and then you get to practice like different spreads and practice with each other so it's better to have a partner to do it with but you don't have to have a partner but it is better if you've got a partner with you at the same time to practice with and then that's done in the beginner. So then I would say to people, you need to practice for about a year on your friends and family and whoever will let you. And then after a year, you can then go into the advanced one. And then that's, uh, well, not quite as easy because that's like the year forecast that I do and um, 
different types of spreads and things like that. So you, you just got practice using them for a start and other, and then afterwards you can then go into doing the advance, which usually takes, I will give them somewhere between six months and a year to learn that. And, the and they're kind of perfect, they're perfecting it in all that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they have to read for me. They have to do a they have to do a year forecast for me, so I can get where they're at, where their heads at. And they have to do two people that I pick that they don't know and read mm-hmm. for them, and get the feedback. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have to do a lot of online work, telephone readings, email readings, Zoom readings, like we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. They there is a process that they have to go all the way through before I'd actually sign off a certificate that they've completed it so the beginners one is not difficult you will learn how to use all the cards and what their meanings are and a few little spreads but you do have to go away and practice it for quite a while before you can then do the second part and a little bit like um Jean and I have been amazed over the last um, six months or so actually how effective online meditations or readings are because I think it would be easy for people to think well actually you have to be in the same room as me but really, you know, guides are guides and energy is energy. So it doesn't make any difference for you, does it, where, where people are? No, I mean, I've been tested many times over the years and I've been just given a name. I would just be sent a name, right, do a reading on this person. There's the name. Mm. So you just do the reading. Um, other times you might be given a person to speak to to do a reading. So throughout the, the organisations or people that I've worked with over the years, they would test you anyway. You would need to be tested. What what impact has living with spirit had on your life? One presumes you can't imagine it any other way. Oh, no, I've just got used to it. Um, I've said I've had it for a child. I used to think God used to talk to me and I used to think all the animals that I could see used to live under my bed. So I literally could see them every night. And I think, and I used to run and jump on my bed because I used to think, where are they? <laughs> they must mm. live under the bed. So we started off more animals, really, than and people. But then when you see shadows, and some I've actually seen them appear as people like me and you, um, to various different shades of um, grey, white, whatever, movement, orbs, <laughs> mm. everything. You just get used to it. I think if it never happened, I'd be wondering where they'd all gone. <laughs> so you do you just end up living your life like it you just get used to it yeah yeah I did I was saying to June yesterday over lunch about the conversations it's quite hard now to have conversations with people that that don't work with spirits they don't know what to talk about because that's such a big part of my life now (laughs) it's really hard that people aren't connected like oh what do I say (laughs) I can't say that and I can't see that (laughs) yeah it, it does make actually um interaction with some family members and some friends quite difficult especially mm. if they don't believe in it like my friend Modena passed this year she didn't believe in it um mm. so we never spoke about that I've got other friends that don't want to talk about it um maybe because it might worry them or scare them a bit mm. and then other friends that just love it and we don't shut up mm. <laughs> we just what do you think it, it what do you think it is about it that scares people I think it's the unknown because they probably watch too many horror films or read too many books where they think they mm. jump out on them and do stuff to them. It's very unlikely that you're going to attract anything like that. I mean, I've even worked with spirit that's not been that pleasant and they've not been unpleasant to me. It's mm. just, I think it's all in your attitude and how you approach them and stuff like that. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, why would you, why would you worry about your, nan or granddad in spirit 
appearing or being around you they usually only come into you for some if you need comfort or something like that or unless mm. you call mm. upon so why would you worry you never worried about them when they weren't here it's just a shift in perception of how you see mm. it so I love it when I've got my like nan and granddad's around I think it's brilliant I love that so do you have your how many children do you have I've got one right and does she have any gift but I think there is something there but she's scared of it so okay. um, yeah she'll listen and she'll talk a bit about it but she's like oh my god you'd have to get peel me off the ceiling <laughs> if anything like that happened to me so maybe she might come to terms with it a bit later down the line um mm. but I mean she's 38 so I, I don't know maybe she will maybe she won't well you said you only came into it really in your 30s Thank so you. that's fascinating I wasn't, I wasn't ever scared of it though no never worried me like that I suppose it was just a sense of not really understanding it um, when I was younger like most young people I guess you don't really know what's going on but if you feel somebody sitting on your bed or the light goes on and off for no reason or the cap starts or the telly goes off and you know things start happening around your house now they automatically think their place is haunted because <laughs> mm. mm. <laughs> a problem so it's the fear that sets mm. in I hadn't planned on asking this, but I but I will. Don't feel you have to. Just before we end, does your uh, your guide Dave, or do you want to channel a message at all? He's a bit shaky, Mark. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be refreshing. <laughs> I've had my nan here today because I've seen my mum, so I've had it in both ears. Uh, <laughs> he basically um he thinks that most people should try and find out who their guides are um because we have a well it's a bit of a different subject but we've been together in past lives so I've actually been married to Dave twice in other lifetimes so he's a bit like my sort of best friend so as I can hear him and talk to him all the time and we sort of joke and we have that banter so anybody that's ever worked with me they've seen or heard what, what goes on between us the way that we mess about but I think everybody that's into this should really try to find out who their guides are because you just have great fun they usually give you um, a guide that's very similar to yourself so you can relate to them so they would have your type of personality so if you're very serious they'll probably be very serious if you're jokey and like messing about like I do you would get a guide like that so I just think a lot of people are missing out if they just don't know who their guides are so this podcast will come out after the one uh, I did with June yesterday, which did touch on guides. Um, and that was, I'll uh, link it to you so you can hear it. But it's not that you don't know. Um, but guides are different to guardian angels, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. You've all born with guides. You may have, most people have got at least a couple. They've got uh, maybe two, three. I've got four. So they work with you with different aspects within your life, depending on what you're working on. So Dave is my main guide, but I've also got um Aboriginal guide that does my shamanic stuff with me. I have another guide that does work with me in spirit, but I think he's more there for me when I'm passing spirit over, when I'm connecting, like doing the funerals and that time. And then um I knew I had a fourth one because mine are all men. But when I started checking up on my fourth one, which I'm going to do a bit more research into in a couple of weeks, because I'm actually going to do a, a board session um, and connect with him and see what he does. But as far as I know, he's a doctor. 
So he's going to be helping me with my healing when I'll be working with June next year. Mm. I'm doing the healing stuff, so I've got to go in. But he's been a bit dormant. I haven't really made much connection to him, but I think they wait until the time's right when they come forward. And then you've got your um, guardian angel, which is with you every lifetime that you have. They come in and they're with you between the life and death moments. If you're, it's not your path, they'll move something out of the way, move you out of the way. And then you've got your, your kinder angel, which is your go-to one for like parking or other things that you, you call upon them rather than a guide. Um, and then, of course, you've got the big, bigger angels, um, Raphael, Michael, and all those what people do use for healing. And you can call them in as well. But the higher level than that, because there's about seven levels of um, angels, you wouldn't have any connection to them. You probably just mainly use the archangels in that scenario so you've got them to call on and you've got all your ancestors so if you've got anybody that's passed over you've got all of them as well that you can connect to so there is uh, and go back if you want to so you've got like an army behind you of mm. people that you can call upon and use and I think this is uh, when you become more aware of um, who you can connect to and why you can connect them for different reasons it's um it's, it's fascinating, really. It's a subject you could just probably go on forever. Yeah. So do you think um, the everyday Joe is able to communicate with their guide? Do you think what, what can they do to start that conversation? What would that look like for them? Um, well, the easiest way to do it is using a pendulum um, is to get your, your find your yes and no answers and your maybe. And then you can do it that way. But when I do um, my sessions, when I do the angel board, I use that to connect to the guides. So we find out who our guides are, um, what connection they are to us, if we've had a life with them, how many lifetimes that we've been connected to them, what they look like, um, what their names are. And some people want to know more about the angel side, so they do that. But that's all that one is for. So we can find out a lot of information by doing that. And then I work with a different type of board, which which most people know as a Ouija board, but I call it spirit board. And I started to work with that for people that um, had suicides in their family, murders, um, people that were lost, you know, physically lost not lot mm. mentally lost physically mm. lost so I was working with that so we've solved quite a lot of things by using the board but I mean you can use um, a spirit board for both if you want to which we'll probably do in a couple of weeks because there's stuff that I need to get to the bottom of um but yeah just using different methods yeah so just using the um I use the boards to find out a lot of information but I do understand not a lot of people would do them but I did show um June a few clips of them when I was over there the other week um and it's not actually scary again that's all down to the films and mm. people watching horror movies and stuff like that it really is not mm. if you know what you're doing and um, I've had like mediums come to me before and say you know you should have been doing that stuff but why if you think that you're a strong medium and you work with spirit all the time why would you be worried about that Mm. I'm a guy I'm looked after so why would I worry about it and even mm. if there is a little in incident that may happen that nobody would ever be aware of it dealt with mm. so never had a problem with it mm. but it took me quite a long time to decide that how I would do it it mm. wasn't something I took lightly yeah but you've been doing this for years so you're you know you're well yeah. grounded in what you do and you know you know you're safe yeah yeah so I really it's a good source of um information you can get a lot of stuff come through 
um, especially if you want to speak to like grandparents or even aunts, uncles, whoever, and you want to get some information that nobody knows, that's mm. the best way to do it. So, um, so really, a pendulum is a really easy and accessible and um, way for people who don't feel that they can intuit a message or hear a message. I mean, I do it all the time. But it's and it's what I think nice is nice about it, and everything explained about the angels is just knowing that we're not alone. Yeah, even if you are alone, you never feel alone. No, there's always, always someone around, and that's mm. a good thing I think about connecting to your guides because once you can sense them, um, and as you know, I've done uh, development circles and I've run those for many years, probably about fifteen years or so. I teach people how to connect with their spirits that are around mm. them. So, you know, um, say, for instance, like my guide, he will be in my left ear. My nan would be, or females would be in the right. My granddad is behind. Uh, I get touched on top of the head if I know that's like one of my nans. So then if it, say, it's either side and I know that it's not Dave and it's somebody else, like an uncle or something like that, then I have to tune in a bit more to get who mm. he actually is. But you get a sense of knowing anyway. Mm. But you have to sort of give tell the spirit what to do so if you're Mm. just going to call them in and they're doing whatever you're never going to know who you're connecting to Mm. it's easier to get that link straight away so Mm. when I'm doing my readings I know if I've got a granddad or I've got a dad or I've got a mom or whatever because I've just told spirit that's how it's to work and that's where Mm. Dave comes in so Dave is like the buffer between the two of us so once I don't start a reading till I know Dave's here and I go, come on, where are you? Oh, okay, let's mm. get going. Here. And then we get going. And I know that he's bringing them in mm. like one at a time because if they all come in at once, mm. you can't, you don't know who you've got. And in the end, mm. it's, it's really confusing. Mm. And then I don't want all that going on when I'm doing enemy readings. I just mm. want to know who I've got and then work with it. So if they can go to like a, a spiritual group and learn how to do some of the stuff, I mean, a bit difficult at the moment. Um, but that would help them in the connection mm. that they're trying mm. to know who they're connecting to. Mm. But otherwise, a pendulum is probably the easiest way of mm. doing it to learn how who you've got or who your guides are. Some people won't want to connect to guys. They might just want to do angels or they might want to speak to family, whichever. Mm. They'll all come in. They'll all hear you once you're yeah. on the I just say, it's- if you're not used to working spiritually, then you have to remember to do your grounding and your protection every time that you open up mm. and again to close down with especially if you're going to go out or drive a car or, or mm. anything like that because you'll mm. just leave yourself open there's mm. simple methods of closing down but you need to learn some of those methods as well i think once you start getting into the spiritual side of things mm. that's a great tip Tracy, you do so much. I have no doubt that I'm going to podcast with you again and we'll touch on other subjects. <laughs> but I think for now, that is brilliant. Thank you so much for your, for your words of wisdom. And I look forward to our next chat. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Hero Hotspot podcast. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Until next time, take care.